Hi Year 11s, I'm back talking about Miriam and going into Chapter 4, the impact of uh, Charlie and his demise on Miriam and what it says about the political agenda of the GDR. So in Chapter 4, Miriam's story of the impact of her imprisonment on her well-being and the story of her life with her husband Charlie demonstrates the incredible power the state had over its citizens. The Stuzzy's constant invasion of the couple's privacy and disruption to their professional growth comes to a head when Charlie is reported dead after he is arrested because of their application to leave the GDR. Miriam is constantly troubled by the deceit of the Stuzzy who continuously change their story regarding the cause of Charlie's death. Two quotations I'm going to talk to you about. Uh, the first one, when I got out of prison, I was basically no longer human on page 31. The harsh treatment endured in Stauberg Women's Prison renders Miriam vulnerable and stripped bare of her humanity. The second quote on page 44, for Miriam, the past stopped when Charlie died. Despite the fall of the Berlin Wall and the years that have passed since Charlie's death, Miriam's life is inextricably affected by her time under the GDR. Even when the wall has fallen, Miriam is still impacted by what happened during that time that she lived behind the wall. So one focus question that I'm going to raise in this podcast is, how does Funda convey her rising horror at the story Miriam tells us? We used the phrase subjective narration when we talked about Anna Funda and in her writing in Stuzzyland. And we said that her narration is subjective because so much of her own feeling and reaction is uh, to what happened to the victims and perpetrators in her novel is framed by her direct reaction to their stories. So I'm going to read the extract from page 32 and 33 in chapter 4. Miriam says the prisoners were brutal to each other too. She says the criminal prisoners received privileges for abusing the politicals. She says that for 18 months she was addressed by number and never by name. She says there was a hoard and barter system, in fact, a whole economy in sanitary napkins. I can't stay focused on the awfulness of it all and my mind wanders disobediently to sitcoms. I think of the old TV series Prisoner set in a women's prison, clanging metal gates before each break and a kindly lesbian in the laundry steaming away. But Miriam has found her stride again. She tells me at Hohenneck the prisoners worked in a sweatshop making sheets. An ordinary day started at 4.30am with an alarm. When the warden's key rattled in the door, all the prisoners stood to attention against the wall. This was roll call by number. They were counted as well. They went to breakfast and then to the workroom where they were counted again to make sure no one had run off between the cell and the canteen. If Miriam wanted to go to the toilet, she stood to attention and called, Juvenile Prisoner Number 725 requests toilet permission. When she got back, she stood to attention again. Juvenile Prisoner Number 725 requests permission to resume. Before going to lunch, they were counted. After lunch, they were marched around a yard for exercise and then counted again. 
The prisoners were counted and recounted from the moment they woke to the moment they went to sleep. And as Miriam says, chuckling, you know what? The numbers were always right. Everyone was always there. Prison left me with strange little ticks. She has taken all the doors off their hinges in all the apartments she has lived in since. It's not that she has anxiety attacks about small spaces, she says. It's just that she starts to sweat and go cold. This apartment is perfect for me, she says, looking around the open space. How about elevators, I ask, recalling the schlep up the stairs? Exactly, she replies. I don't like them much either. One day, years later, her husband Charlie was fooling around at home playing the guitar. Miriam said something provocative and he stood up suddenly, lifting his arm up to take the guitar strap off. He was probably just going to say, that's outrageous, or tickle her or tackle her. But she was gone. She was already down in the courtyard of the building. She does not remember getting down the stairs. It was an automatic flight reaction. Charlie came out to coax her back up. He was distraught. She surprised them both with her tics in the very first years they were together. All of a sudden, I'm very tired, as though my bones have gone soft. I look up, and it is dark outside. I want someone to give her a rub. I want someone to give me a rub. I want the benevolent prison governess of TV land to have existed. I want the lesbian with the heart of gold to have protected the little girl. And I think of what is still to come. So we can see from Anna Funder's narration that she's aching and tired from having heard Miriam's recount of what happened to her. It's interesting to think about Anna Funder's narration and how she is reacting to the stories that are being told to her and what that actually does to us and our reading, how it frames our reading of this text, which is essentially about people who lived behind the wall. I look forward to discussing this further with you in class and I look forward to see how you are writing on this topic. <laughs>